Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, an employment lawyer and partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we're chatting with one of our members in New Jersey. Joining us on the program is Francine Esposito, a partner with Day Pitney LLP. And today, Francine is going to discuss with us the changing landscape of labor law under the Biden administration. Francine, welcome to the program. How are you today? Thank you, Tara. I'm well. I hope you are as well. Yes, greetings from Nebraska. So, Francine, let's start with the basics. Often in my own employment law practice, it seems like there is a fundamental misunderstanding about what the National Labor Relations Act is, what it requires, and who it applies to. Can you clarify exactly what the NLRA is and why employers should care about it? Well, first of all, many employers assume that the National Labor Relations Act, known as the NLRA, doesn't apply to them if their employees are not represented by a union. And that's absolutely not true. Whenever employees band together for their collective good or raise workplace issues of concern, they're engaging in what's called protected concerted activity under the NLRA, and they can't be disciplined for doing so. And many employers don't realize that, and they think that certain employees are just troublemakers stirring up the pot and discipline and fire them for that activity, not even realizing that this law out there is being violated. And it could be safety concerns that are raised. And that certainly happened during the pandemic as well. Also, depending upon employers' policies, they can be surprised at some point, even when there is no union representing their employees, when their employees go to the National Labor Relations Board, which is the federal agency that enforces the NLRA, And the NLRB finds that the employer's policy under which the employee was discharged violated the NLRA. And so very often, employers may bring their policies and handbooks to an employment lawyer for review. And I always caution employers to say, make sure that employment attorney also has a knowledge of federal labor law, because a lot of landmines are very often hidden in employee handbooks that somebody not trained to see them will not see. And as you'll see in much of what I'm going to be talking about here today, what's happening or what will be happening over the next several years will definitely be affecting employers who are not unionized because they may very well find themselves being unionized in the next couple of years. Definitely a lot of things to think about as an employer. Now, It seems like in this area, labor law is constantly evolving and changing. Why is that? Well, attorneys who practice labor law are used to the pendulum of the interpretation of the National Labor Relations Act swinging, and it's either in favor of employers or in favor of employees and unions, depending upon the political party of the president who appoints key personnel at the NLRB. And traditionally, the Republicans are pro-employer and the Democrats are pro-union. The National Labor Relations Act was passed in 1935, and the law itself really hasn't changed very much. It's the interpretation of the law that varies over time. And right now, 
the pendulum seems to be swinging much more forcefully toward employees and unions than it had in the past. Employers should stay tuned to how that pendulum is swinging because this is going to result in significant change over the next couple of years. Now, obviously, we have a new administration in the White House. How are these labor law issues evolving under the Biden administration? Given the perceived disparity between companies and workers and the rich and the poor, while campaigning and to the present, the current administration has been very vocal about its intent to attempt to level the playing field. When President Biden took office, he immediately fired the NLRB's general counsel and its deputy general counsel, both of whom refused to resign at his request, and both of whom were previously management side labor lawyers prior to the expirations of their four-year terms. And such a premature removal from office had never been done before. And as soon as the acting general counsel took office, he quickly rescinded a number of what are called GC or general counsel memos issued by the Republican predecessor. GC memos generally provide direction on the NLRB's enforcement position and case handling. The likely effects of the rescission of those memos include not only that employers' policies will be more closely scrutinized by the NLRB, but also that employees will have less rights in their relationships with unions with regard to paying union dues and in charges against unions alleging that they failed to fairly represent employees. The president's decision to fire the Republican-appointed general counsel and deputy general counsel was challenged. On July 14th, a New Jersey federal judge stated that presidents can actually fire NLRB general counsels without cause, but his ruling in the case was not based on that issue, so it's unclear whether the issue will reach the Supreme Court anytime soon. So we have all of this turmoil at the NLRB. We have the pendulum swinging back toward a pro-employee and a pro-union stance, and this all has ramifications for employers, whether they're in the private sector or whether they've traditionally had some type of labor force in their workforce. So in terms of what you're seeing, are there likely going to be more employees unionizing in the near future? Well, unionization in the private sector has always traditionally been very low. But again, there's a lot going on with regard to disparities in wealth. And more recently, President Biden has unveiled plans to create a cabinet-level working group that includes representatives from organized labor to dramatically increase union density and address economic inequality. And no president has been as vocal as President Biden has been on this topic. And given the rest of the political framework that we're dealing with, the Democrats are in control of both the Senate and the House of Representatives. We should expect more pro-union legislation being enacted, given the traditional tendency for Democrats to be pro-union and Republicans to be pro-employer. There is one draft legislation being considered right now called the PRO Act, Protecting the Right to Organize Act. And it doesn't appear to have sufficient support to actually pass, but there are some very noteworthy provisions of it, including that it would hold corporations and executives liable for interfering with organizing efforts and violating other labor laws by firing or otherwise retaliating against workers reinstating into law the Obama administration's persuader rule, which required employers to report information communicated to employees about unions and the activities of third-party consultants who work behind the scenes to manage employers' anti-union campaigns. And very often, those are lawyers who engage in that conduct as well. 
to impose union representation on an employer if a union is able to produce union authorization cards of 51% or more of the workforce demonstrating that they wish to unionize. And that takes away what is very important, which is a secret ballot election to ensure employees were not actually coerced into signing a union authorization card and to eliminate state right to work legislation, thereby making it easier for unions to organize in areas of the country, traditionally the South, that have historically had low rates of union membership. There's also a bill currently pending that was recently introduced that would substantially increase funding for the National Labor Relations Board, an increase of over $43 million, which is a lot of money. So change is definitely coming, and more likely because there is an encouragement of union organizing from the administration, unions will seek to take advantage of that political climate and go after employees more than they have in the past. And you can see it with Amazon right now, where they're trying very hard to unionize or Amazon workplaces. Now, you mentioned the composition of the NLRB. Can you talk to us for a bit about what the membership of the board looks like and how and when that may be changing? Sure. There are actually five members of the National Labor Relations Board. They are appointed by the president with consent by the Senate. And the composition of the board will transition to a Democratic majority when the term of one of the Republican members expires in August, which is a month away, basically. Confirmation hearings are occurring this week for the two NLRB seats and the general counsel. Republicans certainly will attempt to delay the process as much as possible, leaving NLRB member positions vacant, and that would result in a lack of a quorum for the board to make decisions. When the board composition ultimately does shift, which can be as soon as a month from now, we should expect to see more activity at the NLRB, whether it be employees claiming that their employer's policies violate the NLRA, employees wanting to have a union represent them, and unions claiming various unfair labor practices. But also a number of Trump-era NLRB case decisions, which overturned Obama-era NLRB case decisions, will likely be overturned, including but not limited to that regarding employee use of employer email systems for union organization purposes. And this is the pendulum swinging that I mentioned. So with all of this change that inevitably is coming and the things of concern to employers, what should employers do in response to these upcoming changes to prepare? Increased union organizing is likely. And given everyone's increased proficiency with virtual platforms, Such organizing will likely happen without employers even knowing about it. As such, employers need to be mindful of how they treat their employees, because very often that is a big issue causing employees to seek union representation. It's not always economic, but very often it is economic. So employers should also review how their employees' wages and benefits compare to those employees in other businesses in the geographic area and in other businesses in the same industry. Employers should take the opportunity to use the time before the change in the composition of the board, which could be a month from now, and to review and ensure that their workplace policies don't violate employees' rights to engage in protected concerted activity. And very often handbooks have one or two policies that may actually be questionable. With regard to employers who are already unionized, 
As always, they should be familiar with the current NLRB case law and enforcement positions on issues affecting their relationship with their employees and the unions that represent them, whether it be issues on bargaining and their ability to affect business change because case law on those issues change over time with the composition of the board. Well, this is certainly a complicated area of law for employers, and we know these issues continue to evolve. So Francine, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through these issues and break it all down for us and for joining us on the program today. Well, thank you for having me, and please do stay tuned for future podcasts on these topics because there are likely to be many more developments over the next year or two. Sounds great. If you'd like to connect with Francine or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Also visit the website to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.